Continuing in our series on the book of Daniel, a most familiar passage on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, story told to countless numbers of children in Sunday school, a story that we can most certainly profit from, though, no less today here, as it is God's word, a word that speaks very much so to what it means to go through trial. Let's hear what God's word has to show to us this morning. Daniel chapter 3, we'll read the entirety of the chapter. <clears throat> King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. 
And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. Open our eyes that we may be able to see him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Ouch! Those are the words of a child. I'm not actually hurt. Words of a child out of the softness of their own mind and heart, those kids who you know don't normally think twice about touching a scalding hot burner on the top of the oven. Uh, ouch is probably putting it too lightly, Uh, No doubt over the course of modern history, whenever children experience burns of this sort of magnitude, uh, their cries of anguish are far worse and certainly much louder than what I demonstrated for you. Uh, And in those circumstances, we would all hope that the child would cry out to someone, someone in a caring position of authority at that time, be it a a bigger brother or sister, but ultimately, uh, more importantly, their mother or their father. What does a mother or a father, Lord willing, do in those situations? These heated moments of sweltering pain for their child. Well, uh, hopefully they quickly try to uh, assuage the burning sensation as best as they can in those moments, uh, applying whatever is necessary. Uh, If a child is burned, it's recommended to parents that they soak um, the burn in either cool or Uh, room temperature water, but they're actually cautioned against using ice because that would sting and and cause the burn to worsen even more. And then after flushing the burned area for a few minutes, a sterile uh, non-adhesive bandage of sorts or a clean cloth is applied to the burn to prevent any sort of abrasion or pressure. That's the physical care 
that is granted to a child. But then alongside that, there's the uh, comfort and relief, the, the soothing words from the presence of their ultimate caretaker uh, in that moment to care for them, to ease their discomfort, and to be the one that lessens this moment of pain for them. Well, this scenario may very well play out as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for someone when they're younger. But how can we then apply this illustration of sorts and um, contemplate how this could, could happen to us spiritually, so to speak? What is, this, what, what is a burning situation like for the Christian, not that we're intentionally sticking our hands into dangerous territories, but fiery instances may happen to us regardless of our intentionality or not. As we read the paper, watch the news, read commentary on online articles, there is no question that we see uh, both this nation and this world spiraling out of control. And as it does so, societies and social systems have set up images of themselves. And in this day and age, to refuse to acknowledge the value of such systems is to brand oneself a bigot and intolerant, is to be cast aside, silenced, terminated, if possible, in a social sense, not necessarily physically, these systems are like unto gods today in this day and age. And it is the Christian, a true confessing member of the covenant community who stands in the way of so-called progress and of worship when it comes to the idols of the world. Hold to a traditional view of marriage as opposed to the LGBTQ lobby, silenced, business closed, Refuse to bring your contributions to the sacrament of abortion? Silenced. Refuse to honor and worship the leader of your communist country? Church torn down into prison you go. Now there are a multitude of examples that I'm sure you can think of today. And in these moments, there is pain and there is trial and it hurts. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to give in. But when we look at ourselves and our, our own personal weaknesses uh, in the world where the, the pressure to conform gets tighter and tighter upon us, we see that it is very easy to give in to these societal pressures to worship the gods of this world. But what the account of these three men in the fiery furnace shows us is that we need not constantly look upon ourselves and our weaknesses in those moments, but look to that ultimate caregiver in these moments of fiery trial. This is Jesus Christ, the fourth man. God, he doesn't have an icy disposition towards his people when it comes to moments of pressure and moments of trial. It's not, he's not telling us to just suck it up. He provides a way. When ungodly societies and systems rise up against true believers, Christ is with them. Christ is with us in the fire of trial. And so in our text this morning, we're going to see this uh, threefold unfolding of events before us. 
We'll see how the ungodly societies and systems are, are raised up, so to speak, how they then threaten true believers, and then subsequently upon threats, how they punish true believers. But it's in those moments of punishment, those moments of where the fire is the hottest, that's where we can find Christ. Well, first, ungodly societies and systems are raised up. In our text, literally speaking, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, its breadth six cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, this could very well have been an image of King Nebuchadnezzar himself, uh, but more likely it was an image of one of the Babylonian gods, Marduk, uh, perhaps. Um, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide translates roughly to 90 feet tall, but only nine feet wide. So you can only imagine that this statue was probably placed on some sort of a giant platform or on top of a very sturdy hill and would have been seen from very far distances, this, this thin structure sticking high up into the air in Babylon. And if you take the time uh, to read this text very slowly and carefully, you'll notice how often uh, the, the multitude of references to the statue being set up by who? Nebuchadnezzar himself. Now, obviously, of course, Nebuchadnezzar himself probably wasn't the one who built this statue, utilizing the, the giftedness of, of statue building, probably had hired men to do such work for him. But what Nebuchadnezzar represents in our text is the power behind the building of this statue, of this idol that he desires to be worshipped, much like today with the societal and organizational evils that are prevalent in our day and age, yes, they're built upon the backbone of sinners, evildoers, and enemies of the Lord Most High, but where they ultimately all find their origin is in, is in the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, as Paul wrote in Ephesians. In this this power, what it does is it amasses people and it gathers them together to the raising of these ungodly things. We see King Nebuchadnezzar um, gathering the, uh, the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, all officials of the provinces to come to this dedication of the image. Um, perhaps representatives of peoples, nations, and languages, but certainly these are all people with much power. Evil deeds are not allocated to a, a set geographical locale where they're practiced only by a select few. No, what we see here are peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation participating in deeds of darkness and the raising up of a false god. And it's not as if they just gather, though. They gather in unison. They're all called to be of one mind here. As we are called to have the mind of Christ, the world is tempted to accept the call to have the mind of Satan. And they have their own perverted call to worship. What does the herald proclaim aloud? You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
we had a call to worship also this morning. Psalm 150, if you recall the variety of instruments also that are mentioned there in that text. But that call to worship was unto the only true God. Calls to worship happen daily in our communities around us in some way or form. They aren't blatantly obvious, of course, but they're there. They're subtle. Do you support such and such? If so, come celebrate with us. Let us sing the praises of X, Y, and Z, for they are worthy to be praised. Fill in the blanks for whatever it is. Which call to worship do you prefer? If you don't like the one just described, then threats will follow. Threat is already foreshadowed and implied in verse 6 when the statue ordinance is proclaimed. Whoever doesn't fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And those who protest the name of the God of heaven, their knees are so weak, they buckle and bow immediately to appease the forces of darkness. They may not realize it, they celebrate, but realistically, from our Christian perspective, they celebrate evil things. And therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sounds of these instruments, every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Do we fall down or do we stay standing up? Which we'll see in a moment. Do we resist the call to worship of idols or are we the builder and supporter of them? Today's July 4, perhaps a supreme example of the temptation to worship one's nation over the worship of God. There is only one who deserves all worship. Psalm 2 describes the only one worthy to be revered as, as God sees the ways of the world and the folly of worshiping things, institutions, social constructs, moral, relativistic ideologies, ungodly, progressive, anti-Christian ways of living and thinking, what does God do? He sits in the heavens and he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath, the psalm says, and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. King Nebuchadnezzar isn't worthy, his statue isn't worthy, the king on Zion is worthy. As Isaiah says, God is the one who dwells in the high and holy place. Nebuchadnezzar's foolish statue was raised on a platform, but the Messiah was also raised on a hill, nailed to a cross, an act that is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Turn your eyes away from the idols of this world and come to him in proper worship. Secondly, ungodly societies and systems threaten true believers. When there is the refusal to bow down, so to speak, and bring our offerings before the things of this world, threats and subsequent punishments Ensue. It all starts here in our text when loyal subjects of the king, the Chaldeans, accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of not worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. 
They remind the king of this decree that he had go out. And look at, look at, listen to how they schmooze up to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, king, live forever, they start out, and then go on their diatribe against the Jews and, and not bowing down to the statue. Um, a lot of this probably had to do with the fact that they didn't have the kinds of positions that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. Remember in chapter 1, they were promoted. These Chaldeans probably weren't at that level of promotion, so were very jealous. Notice their character. They had such, such a pious attitude and reverence for the king. And his ungodly decree, disdain towards godly men and their contrasting attitude towards Nebuchadnezzar's decree. I've said this before in other messages, but it bears repeating, the world hates true believers. Recall the words of Christ in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, it's a therefore, not if, Therefore, the world hates you. So the Chaldeans single these men out for not kowtowing to worldly and ungodly systems. And this, of course, results in furious rage from the king, who gives, uh, gives them an ultimatum. In verses 13 through 15, he says to them, When you hear the music, fall down, worship the image that I've made. Okay, well and good, he says. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then he adds this threat, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And the response of these three men is so admirable. They are truly brave in the reply to the king of Babylon. Look how they address him. Their, their response to him is, is far different than these Chaldeans. They call the king by his first name, O Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you in this matter. David Helm kind of paraphrases what, they may, what it would have been like for them to say such a thing. It would have sounded like, you may think you are exalted and have power over life and death, but you are still just a man. They even acknowledge that God could rescue them from trial. But here's the admirable thing. They admit that even if God doesn't rescue them, they are assured that this is in God's hands now and so will not bow down to the statue. Daniel's three friends exhibited faithfulness to God in the heat of the moment during this threat of punishment. They knew they could possibly die in this circumstance, but even with that in mind, they remained faithful. What a picture of the Savior who is yet to come in their time. Christ remained faithful his entire life. Christ remained faithful not in the presence of the king, but in the presence of Satan himself. Recall the words in Matthew 8, 4, uh, Matthew 4, 8 through 10, when we read about the temptation of Christ, when the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, what does he say to him? All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Christ remained faithful his entire life, up to the point even of death on a cross, scorning its shame. Are you faithful under threats by the world? Do you cave under pressure? If you have, remember this. The faithful one on your behalf is there alongside to forgive you when you have failed to be faithful. His presence is real. And that's what we see in our third point this morning. Because when ungodly societies and systems punish true believers, it's in those punishments and fiery trials where we find Christ. It's time for Daniel's three friends to face the fire, literally speaking. The anger and the hatred of the king towards these godly men and their godly conduct is so heated that it makes its way to the the pumping of the bellows to increase the fire sevenfold into which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves thrown into. Bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, it's almost as if they spared no time um, to ready them for being cast into the fire. This was literally immediately. You were going in. The king's rage was so furious, they were cast in almost immediately. And rage, if left unchecked, can do irreversible damage to friends of the enemy, such as the extent of the fiery furnace and the, uh, of being so hot that it killed some of Nebuchadnezzar's men even as they were throwing the guys into the fire. It's interesting to ponder in what ways we've seen that in, in some mysterious way play out in today's day and age as well. How angry and full of vitriol and hatred some ungodly people and their social platforms have to the point where they just end up defaming themselves and demoralizing themselves and their message. Three men are now in the fire. What may be important to learn here at this point, and significant for us to understand as we continue through the book of Daniel, we'll see this pop up again later on, is the biblical imagery of fire itself especially the nature of fire in Scripture as refinement in times of trial. It's a biblical motif we see in Scripture, so it does need to be properly understood. David Helm has been very helpful here in my coming to understanding of this. He's very helpful in Daniel altogether. Malachi chapter 3 describes the Lord as like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. You can see how uh, a refiner's fire is used to produce pure metals, but the gold and silver have to go through such intense heat first. The heat of this fire was so intense in order to separate the dross from the metal. Dross uh, being bits and pieces of uh, impurities on the metal. The language of the fuller soap might sound foreign to us. This was used in the practice of woolen cloth making, uh, where it too was also a process of cleansing the cloth of impurities in order to make it thicker. 
And the way to do that was to use a very strong soap on the clothing, after which it would be placed on rocks and beaten with sticks. The heat of the fire, the beating of sticks. Do you want to remain pure before the Lord, even in the thick of trial? If so, if you answer in the affirmative, you will have to go through this. Intense heat and the beating of sticks and it will pain us, but Christ is there with us. Nebuchadnezzar notices a fourth person in the fire, one who he describes as like a son of the gods. It's not explicit here in the text right off the bat as to who exactly this fourth person is. Some surmise that this is uh, what is called a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnation Um, form of Christ in the form of this divine being in the furnace, or perhaps it's uh, simply an angel sent by God to protect the men. Whoever this is, ultimately, it's indicative and demonstrative of God's presence with his people, with his people, true believers in times of fiery trial. The fire here had no power over these men, The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. God's power brought them through this fire. And here is where Christ meets us in the fiery trials that come our way. After all, he is Emmanuel, God, with us. In the heat of the moment, Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth man. When you go through flaming trials put upon you by an ungodly world, if they haven't yet, I wouldn't be surprised if they come soon, can and will others see Christ around us? When they tangibly examine our response to fire, will they see that we're unscathed and unsinged, will their noses not pick up a whiff of smoke and flame? They will only do so if we fully place our lives, spiritually speaking, into the hands of the Lord, no matter what we go through. If we rely on him and his work, he will see us through, and I pray that he will be seen in us and through us. In those moments, As the three men, Daniel's friends, admitted, we are not guaranteed physical safety, financial safety, any kind of tangible safety, but certainly spiritual safety on the other side of death. This doesn't guarantee our personal physical safety in these times of threats and in trials, but we can be assured of our spiritual safety in these times. And if you hold true to that, that's just the power of the gospel at work in you. Take comfort in that. Because as David Helm pointedly said, the final trial of death can do you no harm. We're encouraged here by the Apostle Peter in this way. He writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In some measure, Nebuchadnezzar once again appears to recognize the God of Daniel here, rendering praise unto his name once again because of what he has seen. May we pray that we can be a visible testimony to others around us so that they too render praise to the true God of heaven as well. And then would eventually come to know him personally in their hearts, the one who promised long ago in Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. This ungodly world and its temptations and threatening conduct may seem strong, but remember, even the most ungodly king, Nebuchadnezzar himself, saw the fourth man. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we once again come before you thankful for the promise of the gospel, for the comfort that we have of the presence of Christ by his spirit in us as we go through um, the variety of moments that we experience here in this world on this side of heaven. Lord, as we go through, and if we go through and are currently going through fiery moments of trial right now, whatever they may be, to whatever extent they may be, Lord, help us to acknowledge your very presence with us. May we render unto you all the glory for being able to take us through, even though we may not see results, physically speaking, knowing that you will carry us through all to your glory and to your honor. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.